0: It's an honor to be with you this morning. I uh, want to have a few of you do something before I get started. If you are on the women's varsity or junior varsity basketball team or on the volleyball team, would you stand up for me, please? Great work. Great work. You can be seated. Uh, hard fought basketball game, hard fought uh, volleyball game, so great work. All the way around. Um, happy Reformation Day. Okay. want to talk about contrast here just a little bit. So as we needed to recognize our teams for their play, you may be wondering this morning, what in the world or why in the world should I be celebrating Reformation Day? Uh, and there are several reasons behind that. What's the big deal? Let me give you a brief story, which uh, many of you are familiar with. The great reformer Martin Luther, on or about October the 31st, 1517, nailed his now famous 95 Theses to the door. Now, we talk a lot about protest these days. That was a real protest. To protest abuses in the Catholic Church. The practice of indulgences, fancy word for paying money, To get your soul, the soul of relatives, out of hell. Wow. Priestly abuses, among other things. Hence, we have the word Protestantism, which comes from the protest. So what? Why is that a big deal for us? What does that have to do with us today? Everything. Has everything for us today. One of Luther's championing phrases was looking at the priest of the believer and looking how we set up a dichotomy between what? Clergy and laity. Uh, and so that's a whole other talk, whole other sermon for another time, another place. But God had Luther do some very significant things. He's widely known. For nailing up his 95 Theses to the church at the door of the church in Wittenberg. But God had Luther do some very significant things as well. He's also known, as we just sang, for his hymnology. Mighty Fortress is our God, which I would propose is his most widely known hymn. If you didn't know, that's based on Psalm 46, The passage in Psalm 46, which we'll read in a second, that God is our refuge and strength. So what I'd like to do today is not do a historical treatment of the Reformation. Some of you are like, well done. Is not do a treatment of every aspect of Luther's theology. I'd like for us to focus in on Psalm 46.1. You've heard this before uh, at length. The idea of this psalm from its totality is thanksgiving for God's constant aid rather than for a particular circumstance. Now, what do we do? We pray like crazy that God would give us an A on a stats test or a date or give us a book deal or a promotion Or get us out of a jam. The idea of this psalm is one of what? That God constantly cares for his people. Well, tell me something new, Randall. Let that soak in. That God's care for his people is constant in all of life. Not just when we get desperate, not just when we find ourselves in a bind in life, but for the totality of his people. For those who have accepted Christ, and many of you have, as Lord and Savior. He cares for and he loves his church and he protects his church. He fights for his church. He didn't call his church The buddy of Christ. He didn't call his church the pal of Christ or the brother of Christ. He called his church the bride of Christ, which is the most intimate relationship that one can enter into. And he protects his church. So the operative question this morning. Are we thankful for salvation in Christ? Are we thankful for our next breath? Are we thankful for our next meal? Are we thankful for friendships? Are we thankful for the athletic ability that God has given us? When was the last time we thanked God for anything? This is a psalms of thanksgiving. We take so much for granted in our lives. Every single day, the ability to think critically, the ability to think biblically, Eyesight, breath, we take for granted. When was the last time we thanked God for anything? I'd like to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read together Psalm 46.1. Read with me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Maybe may be seated. Thank you. What I'd like to do at this point is break down that passage. Because there are some operative words here that are incredibly significant. We sang the hymn of which is based on this passage. But do we brush over what's happening there? So I want to break down six words that we see in this passage and draw some conclusions. I went and did a study in the original Hebrew Newsflash. If you ever have a chance to, an opportunity to preach, if God leads you that way, be careful how you throw the languages around. They're vital, but as I was doing a study in the original Greek or Hebrew, the reason why we deal with original languages is to see clarity in the text and how it was written in the original manuscripts, not so we can think, wow, look at me and what I've done. The first word is God. In the Psalms, we see what? Of the sons of Korah, God is our refuge and strength. And we brush aside that. God, not our abilities, not our cleverness, not our wisdom, not our intellect, not our giftedness, not our theological prowess, not our power, degree, position, or athletic abilities. The focus of this chapter is not us. The focus of the word of God. In its totality. Is not us. From Genesis to Revelation. It's about Jesus. That's the focus of this passage. He is in control. God is sovereign. He's almighty. He's gracious. Just. And he is truth. We're also reading Romans. That for those who name the name of Jesus. We call him Abba. We call him Papa. Papa. Call him daddy. God is the focus of this chapter. And I would ask you even initially before we get start as we're getting started, what is your refuge and strength? We're going to talk about that at length. The second word is that word refuge. A place, literally, a place of trust. It's a safe place. What is that for you today? Where is that for you? Now, for some of you this morning... A place of trust is a hard thing because you've been burned. To trust somebody, to put your hearts in the hands of somebody, it's a hard thing because the track record hasn't been good. And that's reality. That's not I'm not trying to play on your emotions. That's reality. For me, growing up in Oxford, Mississippi, I had a great dad, woodworking physician, <laughs> built my brother and me a treehouse I was invincible in that treehouse. Nobody was going to take the 7 to 10-year-old Drew Randall in that treehouse. That was my safe place. I would read there. He even put a Batman pole, you know, down the middle of it so I would go sliding. That was my place of refuge. So what about you? When hard times come, what's your place of refuge? Talk about that further. I would ask you to think about that this morning. Where do you go for refuge? Where's your trust? Third word, strength. It's the idea of what? Strength, might, power, a fortress. Does that sound eerily familiar with what we've just sung? A mighty fortress is our God? It's Luther's hymn. He never fails. You don't want to put your faith and trust in an object or a person that is going to fail. But yet we do that every day, right? He never fails. He is our strength. Some of you have metabolisms that I envy on a daily basis. As a type 1 diabetic for 44 years next year, metabolism has gone south for me. So some of you bench 253 probably, you're like, I'd love to. And we take reliance in that. We take reliance in the fact, or sometimes wrongly, that our minds are always going to be sharp. That we're going to be able to think clearly for the rest of our existence. No. No. I forget names all the time. That's a result of our fallen sinfulness. Does that make sense? So our strength fails. His does not. That's why Luther, the sons of Korah, would have penned what? A mighty fortress. God is our strength. Couldn't have said that otherwise. Is it yours today? Or is it something else? Next phrase. A very present. The idea here is what? Constant. It doesn't. He doesn't abandon. Let me ask you a quick question. Who or what can we say is 100% faithful in our lives when we struggle or need help? You fill in that blank. Who can we say today is 100% guaranteed on this earth to be there as a very present help? There's nothing. We'd like to say family will. We'd like to say our mental capacities will always be there. We would like to say our ministry accomplishments will always be there. No. Nothing. Except for Christ. I don't say that to play on your emotions. A very present. Not far off. The incarnation literally means which we will celebrate the birth of Christ. Month and a half or so. Wow. It's that place in the semester. How about that? Massive cheer goes up with student body. But here's the thing. He came... This is looking towards Jesus. He came as a very present help. The incarnation means he literally pitched his tent among us. He didn't have to, but he did. We celebrate that. So a very present what? A very present help. The idea here is help, assistance, aid and support. And you may say this morning, got it licked, doc. I don't need help for a faculty member. I've got a degree from here, here, and here. I've got a book contract. Nothing wrong with publishing. That's great. Or I've been professor of the year for 50 years. Well, that's a long time to be at a school, 50 years. Or whatever the case might be. My athletic abilities. I'm fine. I've got it covered. I've got it all together. Can I be quite honest with you about something? Number one, we don't. Number two... If you haven't come to this realization yet, there will come a time in your life that you can't handle. That you're at your wits end. That you are at, as a believer, the bottom of the barrel looking up. And you're in a position of what? Desperation. I've been there. Many of you have. So the question today, why would the sons of Korah have written this? Think. It's because they realize an ever-present help they were in situations of desperation as are we so who do we cry out to who do we cry out to where is our help you may be there today i don't want anybody to know about this sin in my life i don't want anybody to have the veil, tear open the veil of my life we need to be about that a very, has, very present help when things are great. A very present help when things are sailing. Money's in the bank. Those of us who are married, the spouses are rising up and calling us blessed. Uh, you're making A's on everything. And things are fine. No. A very present help where? In time of Trouble. Trouble. Literally, enmity, need, distress, anxiety. And you all have some real questions. What do I do after graduation? <laughs> it's a very real question that some of you are asking. What do I do before graduation? What is my major? How do I relate to the church? What do I do with the test I haven't studied for? Well, study a bit more. Um, we have the idea here of finances, relationships. We have the idea here that trouble is not a one-time deal. And some of you could attest to that. Trouble's not a one-and-done, right? You win a game, you might not see that team the rest of the year. And some of you are like, it'd suit me fine if that were the case. Interaction with that guy, that girl, one-and-done. No. What we see in this passage, the ten of this passage, is that trouble is constant. We get ourselves into trouble. We're persecuted for Christ. We can all think about that. It's true. We see it every day. So what do we do with it? You have to do something with the trouble in your lives. What do we do? Where is our ever-present help? Is it in God who is our refuge and strength in Christ? Or, I'm going to try to handle this myself, right? ask you some questions. Well, you've asked a lot. Well, i ask you some more. When times are tough, where do you turn first? When your world is in crisis, when your world is turned upside down, your first inclination is what? Now, don't don't 500 people, because I can't interpret that. But here's the thing. Where do you turn first? When you're at the end of your rope, abilities, my knowledge, Friends, athletic ability, past accomplishments, degrees, or our fortress Jesus? First line, we read in this passage, God is our, and I mentioned this earlier, is our refuge and strength. They could have thought of, said everything else. Our heritage as Israelites is our refuge and strength, right? How God has moved is our refuge and strength. But their refuge and strength, as should ours be, is in the Father. When's the last time you praised God for who He is, not just what He's done? Even if He had never done anything. Question, worship leaders. There'd be a song in our heart of praise on our lips. Even if He had never done one single thing. So when times are tough... Where do we go? Secondly, with God, our refuge and strength, He's also a just God. What specific sin is kicking you today? Have we confessed and repented of that sin to the same God who loves you? It's, it's a package deal with the Father. It's not, well, I'm going to elevate His goodness, His kindness, but let's brush aside His holiness, His righteousness, and His truth. No. We read in John 1 about Jesus, what? Full of grace. And we leave it there. He's full of truth. And we leave it there. No, full of grace and truth. Is there a godly, righteous vulnerability to our lives? We confessing sins. James 5 tells us what? We're told to confess our sins to one another. When's the last time that happened? Faculty, staff. When's the last time that happened? No, Got to preserve image. Now, be wise and discerning about this, but when's the last time that happened? Are we living transparently before each other? Thirdly, for those of us who have and are following Christ, are we living as those who God is our refuge and strength? Or do we walk around constantly worried? And I'm well, you're one to talk, yes, I struggle with that. Constantly worried? Constantly fretting? Or is there a righteous confidence about us that's only in Christ? That's only in Christ. Is he our refuge and strength? Are we confident in him? We say all day long, many of us who know Christ, yes, I hold to his sovereignty. Yes, I hold to his power. And that's a great intellectual enterprise for some of us. But the proof's in the pudding. How are we living? I can say all day long, I've put my trust and confidence in Christ. But what happens when a circumstance outside of my control hits me in the face? Are we living in our own strength? Are we living in our own knowledge? Are we living trying to make a name for ourselves? Or do we present gospel? You cannot read the totality of Psalm 46.1 of the passage. Can I be honest? And there's Dr. Davis, and so I'm saying this, and hear a hearty amen here. You cannot read Psalm 46 apart from seeing Christ as its focus. Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. Who is our refuge and strength? Yes, God Almighty, but in the person of His Son, Christ, who sacrificed His life for us. Psalm 46 points to and has eyes to Jesus. Fourthly, and this is where it gets really personal. Who do we know today who's addicted to sin, broken, needs grace, encouragement, or who needs loving and correction and care? Are we relating to these folks? And maybe it's you this morning. As agents of his grace, or do we have a spirit of condemnation? Maybe that person's refuge and strength isn't in Christ. We present gospel. I talk to a lot of people about apologetics. What's the purpose of apologetics? We know that's the defense of our faith. What's the end goal? The end game? Well, to win an argument. Uh, Hmm purpose of solid biblical apologetics, yes, is defense of the faith, but it's presentation of gospel. We want to see that individual come to a knowledge and faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, not just to crush another argument. Worldview team, there's your goal. Defend faith well, present, present well material as you're delineating between what? Transcendentalism, New Age philosophy, and other worldview systems but with eyes on Jesus. Does that make sense? Every confrontation, theological confrontation you engage in should be with eyes of restoration in Christ. Does that make sense? That's the end game. That's the goal because God is our refuge and strength. Are we condemning them? Do we condemn somebody because they don't know as much as we do? I'm not saying fail to point out, lovingly point out sin. We're called to do that, right? Right? We're called to do that. If I see a brother in Christ who's walking down a path and destruction's coming, I'm doing them no favor. Well, I don't want them to think I'm judging. No, that's not grace. That's permissiveness and enabling. But we don't do it judgmentalism. In my office, come by and see me. I'd love to talk to you. In my little window cubbyhole office, which is great. Not complaining. A few semesters ago, I had two students. And I didn't commission this artwork. Two students who hand-printed the same statement. And I've got them on opposite walls. But for the grace of God, there go I. I see it every day before I flip a switch to turn the light on. It's above the head in my green comfy chair that I let students sit in. I take the uncomfortable one. That's just, just a gift of service. But for the grace of God, there go I. Because, and here's what that means. Acknowledging that God's my refuge and strength. And for many of you. That's acknowledging that I am one half a step. Look at me. From committing any sin. I'm one half a step from abuse or crushing a life. And it's by God's grace that I haven't. And you know the news flash today? So are you. So are you. I would never. Don't ever say that. I'd never be guilty. Don't say that. God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46 points to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who is our refuge and strength. So my question, twofold. Listen very carefully. One, do you know him? You hear that a lot in chapel. Oh, yes, I've got to deal with the claims of Christ. You do. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not theoretically, not walking an aisle because you felt guilty. Have you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior? Put your faith and trust. You may know a lot. You may have a Ph.D. in something. Have we accepted Christ? Secondly, if we name the name of Christ, are we living as redeemed people? Not legalistically, not with all the answers. Are we living as redeemed people whose faith and trust is in God as their source of strength? Are we living as if we'll never fall or my source of strength is myself? That never works. And what will God do? He will never be usurped on his throne. He will never take second place. He will engineer circumstances to bring us to a place of trust. And some of you, right now, you're right there with things that are going on in your lives. God is bringing you to a crisis place, and you've got one of two options. Become embittered against God, in essence, blaming God. We're seeing that as an opportunity to come to Christ or grow in Him because you're in a place of desperation. When is the last time that we prayed to the Father in a spirit of desperation? That if you don't move, I'm sunk. When was the last time that you prayed fervently in desperation to the Father for Bryan College, for administration, faculty, and staff, that God would do something so huge that if it sank it sank big time but if it happened the glory is his and that should be our mantra and how we live life when we've prayed that powerfully before been a while hmm that's the god we serve our refuge and strength please pray with me Abba, thank you for your word thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy and your truth I pray for that student, that faculty member staff this morning who is at their wits end, who is struggling. You know them by name. I pray for your encouragement, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would convict us of sin. Give us on this campus a righteous vulnerability and a further commitment to your truth. And I pray for those of us that know you, King Jesus, that you would work grace into our lives. You're an incredible God. We love you. We praise you. Gel in our hearts what you want to accomplish through this. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. We adore you and love you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.